Good morning, everyone. It is, in fact, a Wednesday. You have made it to hump day. You are listening to the Losing Our Mind podcast. I am your host, Micah Eastman, and I'm very excited that you are choosing to spend some time with me. So, throughout our years in middle school and high school, we have come to know the former presidents for what they accomplished, but not really for who they were, unless we're talking about the Kennedys, of course. But we miss out on some fun facts. You got some compelling stories in there and the ability to win trivia night at your local coffee shop. So why forego that? Let's take a gander and see what these big wigs were up to. This is Losing Our Mind with Micah Eastman. For all of those listeners out there who are toe-curling with anticipation, waiting to see if I'm going to blast today's politics, you're in for some disappointment. Look, I'm not here with a politically driven rant. I will not be delivering some elaborate expose or breaking news. I'm focused on the dead guys who used to run this joint. I remember when I was little. Knowing historical tidbits was the best. I used to berate my parents' company. Whenever they would come over, I would ask them historical facts and questions. Like, who was the better explorer, Lewis or Clark? Did you know that Lewis and Clark went on an expedition the same year Lincoln was born? They don't care. They're adults. They're like, man, I got to pay for stuff. What are you doing? I'm like, oh, oh, sorry. My bad. Furthering that point, I used to ask my grandparents' shepherd group who was the superior composer. I said, who's the guy? Bach or Handel? And they were like, oh my gosh, that's so cute. He knows who these people are. You're such a cute young man. I'm like, sweet. I'm the little monkey boy. Take a look at Micah, the little dancing chimp. Speaking of chimps, I remember sitting in a supercuts as a young boy, maybe 9, 10, and my dad's squinting at me. He's looking at me. I'm going, what is your deal, dude? He goes, dude, you look like you should be chasing a man with a yellow hat. I got violated in front of all these grown adults. They're all laughing. The place is in uproar. I'm thinking to myself, that was uncalled for. Shame upon you. And that wasn't even the worst part. He goes, yeah, you look like a taxi cab with his doors open. I'm going, please, stop. I got manhandled in front of grown adults. Back to history. Knowing the story of George Washington chopping down the cherry tree practically made you a historian in the second grade. People would gather around, mouths gaping at the wisdom of me. Well, now that I'm done partially lying to you, we'll get started. All I hope to gain is to drop some knowledge on y'all, so let's get into it. I think it's safe to assume that most of us have a hot-headed friend. You know, the one who always wears the three-for-one tank top from Walmart just for maximum range of motion when the clothes start flying. You know, the one that's like, hold my hoops, and then goes and just mixes it up. Well, we've had a couple presidents like that, but one of the most notorious ones was Andrew Jackson. This guy was an interesting bloke. His street name was Ol' Hickory due to his hardness of countenance and toughness. And if you aren't familiar with his body of work, he fought in the Revolutionary War as a young man, followed the path of the war machine as a general during the War of 1812, he fought in the Creek War, and then he also fought in the Seminole War. 
So the dude managed to live through some stuff. Now, I want to showcase what I believe to be his craziest statistic. This guy has quite a few of them in his repertoire, but this one's awesome. Historians believe that Andrew Jackson could have dueled up to a hundred times over the course of his life. One hundred times. Let me make this crystal clear. According to PBS, there is a code to dueling that has up to 30 rules, and almost half of them pretty much tell you in what cases you're allowed to have a duel. You could turn and burn for just about anything. So dueling started out as a gentleman's call to arms in a sense, like, hey, you offended me, have at the knave, and then they would use swords typically. But then as it started to progress in America, we of course went, well, shoot, I invoke my constitutional rights to make sure you don't live no more. Grab this here pistol, Cletus. You would walk 20 paces, give or take 60 feet. And with a pistol on the count of, I think, three, click, clack, blow. So Andrew Jackson was that guy, undefeated. There was no one who beat him, obviously, because he lived. There was even one duel where Mr. Jackson was shot in the chest and the bullet missed his heart by an inch. He then turned on the guy, blew him away, then lived the rest of his life with the bullet just chilling there. He didn't learn his lesson, though, because it happened again, and by the time he was done, there was an autopsy when he died that found two bullets just in his body. One of them was almost rusted for being there for 39 years. Andrew Jackson, everybody. I'm as guilty of this as the next man, but we harp on some of these commander-in-chiefs a lot for a lot of things. Too mean, too soft, no flair, good policies but trash presentation, bad policies but can perform, crooked, creepy, copious, pretentious, preachy, pudgy, you name it, we got it. We always have a ton on our mind when it comes to these guys. And in some cases, rightly so. But you don't like the policy? Ah ha 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 ha, look at the fat guy. Do you know how freaking difficult it is to be considered qualified for this position? I know some of y'all are going to have a heart attack by me uttering his name, but Trump and Reagan were literally some of the only celebrity presidents. Like, no one else was super famous for something other than politics. Or being on the winning side of a war and using that momentum to become the leader of the United States. Most of these individuals graduate at the top of their class at prestigious schools. They spent lengthy times within the politics game, and they know how the chess pieces move. Granted, you're going to have those individuals who got the silver spoon, my dad was a senator, and they get the fast pass. But these guys are smart. According to a study by TAM District, the lowest IQ in American presidential history is General Ulysses S. Grant at 120, and the highest is John Quincy Adams at 168. My dear friends, 100 is average. So if the baseline is 120, they're playing a different game. There's levels to this. For example, 
James A. Garfield, the 20th president of the United States, is the one and only president to proof the Pythagorean theorem. Garfield was an avid fan of the subject and very much wanted to be a mathematics teacher before pursuing a career in politics. And in his spare and unproductive time, when he wasn't running for Congress or being the freaking president, he would work out problems for kicks and giggles. Folks, I hate math. I hate math with the heat of a thousand suns, so hearing this guy did it for fun causes me to break out in hives. But one day, he was playing with a piece of paper, and he had the brilliant realization that A squared plus B squared equals C squared, and then came up with a simple proof and equation. That's crazy. This guy plays with paper and creates a new way to math. When I play with paper, it usually has wings and doesn't go very far. Good grief. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for sticking around this long. But this is where the villainy appears. Bum, ba-dum, bum. So like I said, this is not time to spit out a list of these former president's political accomplishments. I want to get down to the person behind them. There are many presidents who are not looked upon in a good light because of both today's culture and how we've advanced and then, quite frankly, how minority groups were treated in that time. Entire libraries have been written about that topic, and I'm not here to reinvent the wheel. I am merely expanding upon what's been cataloged. Now, I don't like this guy. I don't. I think that this is a big deal. Woodrow Wilson. Dude was smart. Went to Princeton, becoming a historian, a professional political scientist. He had a lot going on. But Buddy grew up in Virginia, which was rebuilding after the destruction caused by the Civil War in what we know as the Reconstruction Era. There is even a record of him shaking Robert E. Lee's hand as a boy. Buddy is as Confederate as you can get. So there's that. I want to pull the car over for a second, and I want to showcase something. I will tie this in. You might go, how is he going to do this? But watch. We have all seen movies. Cinema, in my opinion, is one of the most reactive catalysts to thought. A film uses philosophy, dialogue, visual imagery, and music as the four walls of a box in which the creator or director puts a message. It is slapped with a bow, and then it is sent to us, the viewer, to unbox and consume. When you can see an ideology played out before you, it can really make an impact, for better or for worse. For example, the documentary Blackfish exposed the maltreatment of animals and held people accountable, causing SeaWorld and a bunch of other parks to enlarge their spaces. The Joker's character has such a following that one individual mirrored his chaos and opened fired in a movie theater in 2008 and killed a bunch of people. This caused movie theaters to then hire security to be posted outside of each door for every theater when the release of the Joker came out. And then lastly, Top Gun. We see it as this big, inspiring story, and many a young man felt inspired because both the Navy and the Air Force saw dramatic spikes in enlistment after the movie was released. All of that to say, cinema can move people to action whether it be good or bad. You're probably wondering how I'm going to tie this back. 
and here's how I'm going to do it. The very first film to ever be viewed in the White House was during Wilson's presidency. The film was called Birth of a Nation. There are a number of appalling issues with this. The first being, forever in the history of America, we have to acknowledge that the first movie ever played in the White House is a film that demonizes African Americans. To make matters worse, number two, Woodrow Wilson condoned the film. Quote, It's like writing history with lightning. My only regret is that it's all so terribly true. Some might say he was indoctrinated by his environment growing up in that time and that place, but regardless, it's tragic. A president of the United States looked upon that film and said, yep, it's too bad it's that accurate. To write something with lightning almost alludes to biblical implications, as if a divine being signed off on this. We live in a fallen world, people. Sinners in need of a savior. Well, folks, I like to think that we've made moves in the right direction towards equity as well as equality. I know that the news may say otherwise, but I believe truly that we are better off than we were. Folks, that's all I've got for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in to Losing Our Mind with Micah Eastman. I am so appreciative for each and every listener. You guys mean the world to me, and I really do appreciate your support. A lot of preparation and and time goes into these podcasts, so as long as you're listening, I'll keep making them. I really do enjoy bringing some light to your Wednesday. If you are looking to be more involved with a podcast or trying to throw some suggestions or ideas or even just want to reach out to me, uh, both my socials of Instagram and TikTok are Eastman underscore Inc. I-N-C. So feel free to reach out. I would love to hear from you. At the end of the day, you are loved. You are a majestic human being. I care for you. Get out there and make a difference. Happy Wednesday, everybody.